Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Brief. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Foote. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food team. So this week, Gerardo, has anything happened in Agri this week? Oh, what a week. <laughs> what a week. I mean, this que- the question is not what happened, but what, what didn't did happen. not happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a busy week. I think um, my prediction from last week of sleepless nights, I think, came true for everyone. Um, so yeah, this week has been somewhat of a turning point for uh, the common agricultural policy reform, the CAP reform. Uh, so we've seen both the uh, EU Parliament reaching and voting on a, a proposal, and also the Council, which came to a uh, came to an agreement on their proposal as well. So it's been a big week. Yeah, exactly. The the two co-legislators, or basically um, the two institutions that are making law at the EU level, uh, they they need to amend uh, the Commission's proposal on common agricultural policy. But in order to do so, as you said, they need to agree on a negotiating mm-hmm. position that they could use during this uh, inter-institutional negotiation that are called the uh, trilogue, no? So that's why that's why it's actually important, as you said. I mean, they're basically voting on the mandate, and 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 it's crucial, of course, to mm-hmm. to kick off negotiations. So I mean, it started on Monday, actually. Yeah, um, it started with the council, uh, the Agrifish Council in Luxembourg. So the uh, gathering of ministers of agricultural ministers from the uh, twenty-seven member states. Uh, but the first day, uh, there was a public session, but they actually agreed on, on the fishing quotas. The crucial day mm-hmm. was actually Tuesday. Uh, you remember there was, uh, first there was this, uh, mystery around the compromise amendments with the Greens and the leftists, um, complained that key parts of the cap vote have, mm. were being moved forward. From Wednesday to the, vo- the voting session of, of Tuesday, um, and they basically um, attacked this move like an undemocratic move. And then Greta stepped I, in. I you do remember? remember. Yes, indeed. Also because she was fuming about the lack of attention Which, given to yeah. the reform of the uh, of the youth farming subsidy program. Uh, program. It's actually which is crazy. She she doesn't listen to our podcast. Is basically what she. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, she she was basically she went against us in in a sense. So uh, she pointed the finger at mm. the media landscape, um, actually launching this uh, this uh, attack against journalists for reporting on aspects like the veggie burger ban rather than the climate impact of uh, the common agricultural policy. We can do both, you know. I think that's <laughs> find a journalist that can do both. Greta, if you're listening, there are journalists that care <laughs> about the cab. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And coming back to the the actual cap reform, what actually yeah. went down this week, I think one of the most controversial things that happened, or one of the things that people were complaining the most about, was this alliance between the three biggest uh, parties: so the EPP, um, the Socialists, the S and D, and also the Liberal Party, um, the Renew Europe Party, who basically joined forces to create this alliance early on in the week uh, and this compromise. 
um, meaning that they were they'd compromise on certain amendments they were going to vote through and the Greens and environmentalists and NGOs were up in arms about this completely up in arms uh, because the compromise amendments that they were looking to vote through in the first voting session this week effectively meant that uh, many of the amendments that uh, that environmentalists really cared about um, would either be kind of null and void um, or irrelevant after these kind of compromised votes. Um, so that was seen as something really controversial that happened this week. And in the end, of course, the, I mean, of Indeed. course, I mean, it wasn't that obvious, but the majority agreement prevailed, uh, despite some last minute defections. We we try to to detect these uh, defectors mm-hmm. before the vote, and uh, and so all the compromise amendments in the end uh, that were proposed proposed by the three biggest political groups were voted through. In fact, the only amendment that wasn't voted through on the first voting session was the amendment to completely scrap the cap, which is what environmentalist groups and NGOs started to call for once they realized uh, you know what was what was happening with this alliance they started to say no we know just scrap everything Um, and that was the first amendment up to be voted on but that didn't didn't make it through so uh, that was the only one to not make it through that voting session and the rest as you said all of the compromise agreements actually passed. So we spoke to the chair of the MV committee, Pascal Canfin, to hear his thoughts on the compromise. And Pascal has also been fairly outspoken um, against the NGOs that were against these compromise, this compromise between the three main parties. So let's hear what he has to say on the compromise. This week, uh, we voted in the European Parliament the Common Agricultural Policy. Uh, we found a compromise. So as a compromise, uh, it's not what I dreamt of. But I think it's a compromise which is still a good compromise. Why? Uh, For the first time, we're going to invest 100 billion euros over the period of the next CAP in the uh, green agriculture and the green transition for agriculture. It will be mainly done under Pillar 1 because for the first time, we are going to have eco-schemes in the Pillar 1 that will go beyond uh, uh, conditionalities, so beyond the legal framework uh, the farmers have to follow to enter the CAP, and 30% of Pillar 1, which is the the core of the CAP, will be conditioned to uh, green practices, such as uh, practices good for uh, climate, good for uh, biodiversity, and uh, the reduction of pesticides. So it's not uh, it's not the same design than the previous CAP, and we really have to understand that. It's a compulsory conditionalities plus 30% of the whole Pillar 1. During the previous CAP, we just have one out of three conditionalities to comply with in order to get the whole Pillar 1. So when you look at the detail of the text, I can tell you that it makes a real difference for the future. That's why uh, I'm quite uh, proud of this compromise. Again, if it's still a compromise and there are things in it, uh, if it could be dropped off in uh, in the trilogues, I would be as well happy, of course. Then beyond the compromise that were found uh, with the three groups uh, a couple of days before the vote, in the plenary, we voted as well very good progressive amendments, such as the compliance uh, of the CAP with the Paris Agreement, or uh, uh, the obligation for member, state, member states sorry, to uh, have higher and higher 
targets for organic uh, farming. Uh, that are concrete examples that when you all add all that up, at the end of the day, you have a real new CAP, much more uh, green than the previous one. So that's why I will vote in favor of this new CAP uh, in the parliament. And NGOs were quite vocal against this compromise amendments and the position of the three uh, largest political group in the European Parliament. We spoke to uh, Harriet Bradley, the agriculture officer at, uh, at BirdLife, um, a leading NGO for natural conservation, who basically explained uh, the position of the NGOs and, and why uh, this uh, agreement with, between the three largest parties uh, it's not good for them. The European Green Deal is the flagship policy of this European Commission under President von der Leyen. And it promises action to address the climate and biodiversity emergencies. Two weeks ago, the European Parliament voted for a 60% emissions reduction by 2030, which is great. But this Wednesday, they voted against a 30% emissions cut by 2027 for agriculture. Studies have shown that agricultural emissions need to come down by 80% by 2050 to achieve net zero, and that a 37% reduction in agricultural greenhouse gas emissions is possible by 2030. Not only does the deal that MEPs are voting through on the cap set no climate targets, it would actively contribute to the climate crisis by funding the destruction of carbon sinks like peatlands and permanent grasslands. It would also not provide any meaningful space for nature on farms, which is a key game changer for farmland species, many of which are likely to go extinct if their habitat is not restored. We have to remember that here we're not even talking about mandatory legal rules, we're talking about what we subsidise, so what farmers or other land managers need to do to get public money. 387 billion to be precise, and it's 32% of the EU budget. In comparison, the EU Environment Fund is around 3 billion and less than 1% of the EU budget. To pour hundreds of billions into harmful subsidies in the crucial decade for averting climate and biodiversity breakdown and miss this urgent opportunity for funding the ecological transition in agriculture, which many farmers are demanding, is just immoral. This is also why many farmers are also against this deal. It makes a complete mockery of MEPs' promises on the Green Deal, and MEPs have a moral duty to citizens to vote against it. And we're saying that the Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, should be ready to withdraw this cap proposal if this catastrophic deal passes. Thanks, Harriet, who actually became a, a Twitter star for a day. <laughs> Somewhat of a celebrity. <laughs> exactly, because she was the one that triggered the reaction of Greta Thunberg. Um, that she actually retweeted Harriet's tweet. So, do you think Harriet is more excited about that or being on the Euractive podcast? <laughs> I think the latter for sure. Yeah, for sure, she should be. <laughs> and uh, and NGOs also did this uh, photo stand outside the parliament on Monday. Uh, in protest against this uh, alliance formed form between the three largest political groups. Um, I actually interviewed uh, Herbert Dorfman, who's the agriculture coordinator of the parliament's biggest political group, the European People's Party. Um, and and he, uh, we spoke about this uh, aggressive campaign 
by the NGOs. He was one of the MEPs targeted uh, by them. And he told us that uh, the environmental NGOs want the common agricultural policy to be only environmentally friendly, but it, the this program is mostly a social economic Q program. So the reform of the CAP um, must look after the well-being of farmers as well, uh, rather than focus mainly on environmental sustainability. That's what Herbert Dorfman told me. And what's the other things that have been voted uh, during this week at the European Parliament? Well, there are a number of interesting things that have been voted actually this week. And one of them we spoke to MEP Tilly Metz about. She's also the chair of the Committee on Animal Welfare, the newly newly, um, newly elected chair. Um, and so there was an amendment that was passed saying that um, we, the CAP couldn't give support to cows that were going to be raised to be in bullfighting. So we spoke uh, to Tilly Metz to hear what she had to say on the outcome of this amendment. In the otherwise so far quite disastrous votes on the CAP reform, there has indeed been some positive news for animal welfare. One of our amendments on bullfighting passed, and uh, this amendment in question clearly states that EU countries should not be allowed to support the breeding of bulls for bullfighting through coupled supports, which means financial aids linked to production, not hectares. Members of the European Parliament took a stance against cruelty because EU funds should not fund cruelty. Unfortunately, on the other hand, another amendment we had tabled on bullfighting, which went much further than this, did not get a majority of the votes. The amendment which didn't pass now asks for a total exclusion of direct payments for the breeding of bulls for bullfighting and not just coupled support. This would have represented a much stronger European Parliament position on the issue of cap funds and bullfighting. But um, it seems this time the majority of uh, maps uh, were not courageous enough to go all the way. But I'm an optimist, so I hope next time around we will have even more allies motivated to end the funding of this barbaric practice. And another interesting amendment that was approved by the MEPs was the one filed by the socialist lawmaker uh, Maria Neusl. Uh, that actually link the payments in the the direct payments in the common agricultural policy to the respect uh, of social standards. We spoke about this with the um, representative of the European Trade Association, Enrico Somalia. The news that came yesterday from the European Parliament concerning the adoption of a social conditionality clause for cap direct payments is certainly extremely positive for the whole European agriculture sector. It is a first important win in the fight to make sure EU money don't go to employers that exploit agricultural workers or do not respect their individual and collective labor and social rights. This is positive for millions of farm workers in Europe, but it is certainly very good news also for the vast majority of farmers that respect applicable labor standards but that unfortunately suffer unfair competition from those that don't. This battle is of course not over. 
trade union still expect the adoption of very important amendments tonight in the European Parliament. And then, of course, it will also be up to the EU Agrifish Council and to the Commission to make sure that this important achievement is not jeopardized. The principle EFA defense is very, very simple. The common agricultural policy represents a huge, important part of the EU budget. At the same time, the agricultural sector is one of the most precarious and difficult sectors of the economy, with very high level of exploitation, poor wages, deplorable housing and living conditions. We believe it is now time for policymakers to stop overlooking the reality of this sector, and we also believe that it is now time to adopt a common agricultural policy that delivers for agricultural workers and that also ensures the respect of their rights. And we also have this week uh, the now infamous amendment, or, or several amendments actually, that are coming up um, in the voting session on the Common Market Organisation uh, regulation uh, tomorrow. And that is on the naming of meat-like products. I say meat-like products, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know. I, but I'm going to explain what it, what it is, but I don't think I even need to. I think everyone knows. Oh no, oh no. Yeah. Everyone knows, everyone knows. This idea that, you know, can you call plant-based foods, things like veggie burgers, veggie sausages, um, or are the terms, uh, should the terms be kept exclusively for meat products? And so this has been this, you know, really symbolic issue that's become really emblematic of this fight between environmentalists who want to support plant-based diets on the one hand they've also made this kind of fairly unlikely alliance with some key industry players like um, Ikea and Unilever um, who obviously want to sell these kind of products Um, and on the other hand you have the EU livestock sector um, who's fighting tooth and nail um, against the idea that these terms can be used for plant-based products they want to keep it keep it for meat um, only and so this amendment is going to be voted on uh, on Friday Uh, in the last voting session of the plenary um, and we'll be following it along all of Friday um, so be sure to watch our live blog where we've been um, blogging all of the latest developments on the cap all week. Yeah and also I I remember that uh, ahead of the vote um, apart in the plenary there was uh, this uh, Dutch uh, leftist MEP Anja Hasenkamp that was wearing this shirt mm. during uh, her intervention, asking to stop the veggie burger ban, but also the livestock stakeholders mm-hmm. uh, have been campaigning across uh, metro stations in, in Brussels with this uh, banner. So uh, as you said, mm-hmm. it's something that uh, it's going to... It's gonna. It's definitely an amendment that has captured hearts and minds exactly. across Brussels. <laughs> yeah, very contentious. But the cap wasn't discussed only in Brussels, mm-hmm. but also in Luxembourg, where uh, where the uh, ministers, as we said in the beginning, uh, were gathering for two days. And after 40 hours of negotiations, finally they come back with a, a common approach on uh, on the cap reform. Which was something of a, a miracle, no? <laughs> it wasn't expected for this session yeah 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 i have to say that i actually want to highlight my lack of confidence in the eu farm ministers because last week in the in the agri-food brief i wrote i said that i basically listed the five things to know ahead of the cap week and and i said that the council wasn't ready yet Mm. and even after 40 hours of negotiation even with the last ditch from the german presidency to secure a deal 
Um, I was still thinking that they're not gonna make it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I remember it was it was almost uh, uh, one in the morning actually, and I listened to the first round of ministers. They they came back for the final session of the council, mm. and and I understood from this first round that they were not they they were not quite there yet. Yeah, it did seem like it, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. and that's why I, in the live blog, I, I basically say there's not going to be a deal tonight. And actually, four in the morning, they struck a deal. They struck a deal. Then you ate your words. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and it's also because the German president presidency really wanted to strike this deal mm-hmm. in this October uh, Agrifish session. As the, yeah. Well, the pressure was on. To strike this deal, no, I mean for for mul- for two reasons really, for multiple reasons. But actually, yeah, exactly. The the biggest reason is that uh, the pandemic um, is evolving not in a in a good way, mm. and there's no certainty of uh, there was no certainty of a physical meeting with ministers in November, and um, people that work in the EU institution know know how important it is to to. Uh, have this kind of meeting in presence in order to to clinch a deal, mm. and uh, but what they decide they basically uh, the the council voted to ring fence twenty percent of direct payments from uh, the economic agricultural policy for this eco scheme, which is the new um, delivery model to ensure the greening of the European uh, farming. And um, and actually, on this ring fence, there was a bit of a fight uh, among ministers. In particular, for instance, Italy, um, they were against. Uh, and in the end, they agreed on a bridging solution with a two-year learning phase and which member state will try to exhaust all the funds available. Uh, so this is in response to the fears that in some countries um the eco scheme would i mean some countries all, all actually raised the issue that eco scheme would be impossible to implement and and this would would result in the loss of uh, eu funds for farmers mm. and another thing it's actually um in order to overcome the resistance of italy for instance um ministers also agreed on a more flexible uh cap so basically we're talking about the flexibility between the two pillars, so direct payments and rural development program. So in particular, the environmental expenditure in the rural development program uh, can be counted in the first pillar. This is, of course, the position of the council. They they still need to um, start negotiations with the European Parliament. So everything is still open, even after this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the question on everyone's lips is, you know, is 20% enough? I mean, I know the EU Agriculture Commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski, um, he thinks it's not enough. Uh, and the Parliament's position on this matter, they voted for 30% rather than 20%. Um, so, you know, in that respect, the parliamentary position showed, showed more environmental ambition, um, although that was also capped at 40%. Um, so what will be interesting will be to see, I mean, I imagine with the trilogue, the real figure will fall somewhere between the, the two. Um, but yeah, that's going to be something that they're going to have to hash out at the at the trilogues. Yeah, in- indeed, we spoke about this with uh, a Green MEP, uh, an Austrian MEP, Thomas Bites, uh, who's actually criticised this uh, p- 
position. I mean, the uh, downsizing of the of the ring fencing uh, put in place by the ministers. Let's hear what he has to say. Today, European agriculture is fueling the climate disaster with the use of artificial fertilizers with too high livestock densities, with erosion and many more, European agriculture is actively contributing to global warming. While agriculture and European agriculture could be a big part of the solution, not just that with organic methods or agroecological methods, a lot of CO2 emissions could be reduced. Doing the right thing and replacing artificial fertilizer with green fertilizer, we could actually sequest a whole lot of CO2 into the soil, which would not just raise the fertility of the soil, but also make the soil more capable to store water and as so uh, work against floods and against droughts. 20% of eco-schemes is even going below what the parliament was proposing, it's actually a slap in the face of the climate movement and not capping the subsidies at 100,000 euros is a slap in the face of the farmers' agriculture and in favor of oligarchs and big business uh, companies across the European Union. So what's interesting is that, you know, the commission proposal, uh, the, the original proposal they put forward, um, they proposed a 2% of the first pillar for, for young farmers. And actually, the, the parliament proposal doubles this. They really upped the ambition here and they ended up voting through 4% uh, for young farmers. So that's quite an interesting kind of change in ambition there. Um, but what will really be the test, I think one of the tests in the, in the, in the trilogues is that Actually, the council didn't didn't vote for any percentage at all. They haven't specified um, the amount that will be portioned for for young farmers. So that's another thing that will that needs to be hashed. And that's something that Yanis Mize, who is the president of the EU Young Farmers Association, will definitely be keeping an eye on. I'm sure. And actually, we spoke with him uh, to hear his take on what everything that's happened so far. European young farmers were very happy with the vote in the European Parliament where a majority of members have indicated the need for real budgetary uh, budgetary ambition to support the instruments that have to provide generational renewal finally will take place in the agricultural sector in the coming years and in the coming decades. Um, obviously the real work uh, only starts now in the trilogues, uh, but we, we think we can be very confident looking at the uh, speeches which also the commissioner gave over the past few months where he clearly indicated the need for young farmer support. We are confident that all the institutions uh, will support such a, such a budgetary ambition uh, in the trilogues, or at least we are counting on them and it would be disappointed to see it happen uh, otherwise. And MEPs also voted to cap the cap, I mean, the direct payments uh, for large beneficiaries at uh, 100,000 euro per farm, uh, reducing at the same time the share of direct payments received above 60,000 euro. And this could be another source, uh, a potential source of conflict with the council as well uh, in, in the final negotiation, because ministers have agreed on a lighter compromise that basically leaves member states their choice to introduce a capping to direct payments. So we spoke about this um, to 
um, the agriculture coordinator of the European People's Party, the largest group in the European Parliament, Herbert Dorfmann. We in the Parliament are quite ambitious in addressing the problem of uh, big industrial farms and uh, land grabbing in some parts of Europe and supporting uh, family farms in, in Europe. We voted for an ambitious uh, capping and degressivity in the common agricultural policy, and this is for sure. We had a compromise and voted this compromise on a capping on 100,000 euro. Uh, we voted also in favor of degressivity uh, from 60,000 euros onward. Um, this uh, is a signal that the parliament wants to address uh, these questions. In the meantime, I didn't see a lot of this in the Council's conclusions and uh, I think this is also due to the fact that there, there's a strong interest in some member states to do nothing or because there's a very uh, big connection between these landowners and the governments or, as you see with Mr. Babish, uh, the um, highest ranking politicians in these member states are involved themselves in the business. So we had a look at the kind of first reactions that are coming out from the member states with the EU agricultural ministers. Um, and we firstly looked at Germany. So in Germany, um, it seems that there's, you know, quite a lot of opposition parties are fairly critical of the council proposal, while the Social Democrats, uh, which is who, who is a partner in the governing coalition, um, are also not enthusiastic. So it's not not been very well received, maybe in Germany. Um, however, in France, the French agri minister Julien de Normandie welcomed the outcome of the council, um, and he was particularly enthusiastic about the fact that ministers backed the French initiative to promote the development of protein-rich plants in order to reduce the reliance on third countries' protein. So that's pretty interesting um, to note. And he was also happy to have obtained from the council the extension of the wine planting authorizations until 2040. So pretty well received in France. In Austria, the Austrian minister Elizabeth Kostinger um, hailed the reform, saying that the change in the European agricultural system is needed and that the EU should start preferring quality over quantity and family businesses instead of agricultural groups. How about in Italy, Gerardo? You'll know uh, Italy's reaction better than I will. Yeah, of course. I mean, I actually want to say something on uh, Kerstinger. She's super experienced also because she was on both sides. She was a, a rapporteur for several uh, uh, reports when she was an MEP and she was also a negotiator for the Austrian presidency mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't know, two years ago maybe. Uh, so she's super experienced and she, know, she knows uh she know how it works that's mm, why her opinion is it's quite mm. uh, relevant yeah you said you said about teresa belanova yeah of course she said that the agreement marks a historic evolution of the traditional structure of the agricultural policy but she also highlighted the what is according to her italy's biggest contribution to the talks um among ministers which is the setup of this uh uh, insurance fund for farmers in case of adverse events. So it was like a safety net uh, that comes from direct payments. 
and actually uh, they tried to to trigger this uh, fund even during the pandemic but it was it was uh, a bit difficult because the link with the direct payments was that um that strong that actually farmers themselves were were a bit afraid of using this uh, safety net but now they conceive a different mechanism that actually um doesn't pre- doesn't prevent farmers to get at the same time direct payment so um another interesting opinion uh on the agreement uh reached uh, by the ministers comes from uh, the netherlands uh, they have pushed for a simpler cap uh, for i mean the entire negotiations at the ministerial level and although there were some positive developments in this regard uh, the dutch uh, still uh, still think that there's room uh, for improvement and it has been agreed that some simplification will continue to be kept on the agenda in the follow up process mm-hmm. that's what that's what they they advocate uh, for and lastly uh, cypriot farm minister costas uh, kadi highlighted uh, in particular the flexibility uh, we spoke about this before uh, the flexibility provided to member states to plan their own actions uh, according to the specifics uh, specificity of each country and so moving away from the cap slightly which is crazy after this week um i just want to take a moment to talk a bit about some of the upcoming events that we have and one of them is actually one of our own so we have a twitter chat next week uh next tuesday on the 27th and that's on the effect of the uptake of the farm to fork in the eu um so be sure to tune in for that on twitter um, you can find us on the online uh, Twitter account, which is EA Agri Food, and where we'll share the questions. And uh, we encourage you to get involved and answer to the questions. So all the details of that can be found on the Uactive Events page. There are also another couple of events coming up next week that are pretty notable. So. On the 26th, there is a ComAgri meeting, which is a public hearing on uh, fruits, vegetables and the wine market situation and the impact of EU measures to face the COVID-19 pandemic. Also on the 26th, the Forum for the Future of Agriculture is holding an online event on rewarding sustainability in the food system. And on the 27th, there is an event on what to expect from the EU forestry strategy, uh, which is organized by the Intergroup on Biodiversity, Hunting and Countryside. So basically, it's going to explore the next EU forestry strategy. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by your active's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foot, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. This podcast can also be found on the major streaming platforms. That's Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and also Stitcher. So that's all from us this week. I'm Natasha Foote. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.